So um, if you got here a tad late, Michael Sanson, one of our pastors, reminded us concerts today at 4 and 6, and then coming up Christmas Eve services. And this is a time of the year that uh, God is at work in people's lives in sort of a special way. People are more open than ever of what is the real point of Christmas. So be alert to invite opportunities if you would. Also, just during this season, uh, the last few weeks of the year, a lot of you give extra giving beyond your tithe, and thank you so much for that. That helps fund ministry here, children, students, adults throughout the year, as well as outside the walls of Woods Edge, both Houston and around the world. So thank you for your generous giving here at your church home. And then finally, let me just mention that uh, we're going to wrap up uh, every February. I've been taking trips to Israel, and uh, we've got a few spots that have opened up. If you're interested, see me afterwards or mark a card. We're going to wrap up, finalize that list this week. So of the four Gospels, only Matthew and Luke have a birth narrative about Christmas, Jesus. The other two Gospels, Mark and John... Uh, Mark begins with Jesus as an adult, and John begins with this beautiful theological prologue about uh, the incarnation, but Matthew and Luke have the, the, the narrative of the details of the birth. Now, Luke's narrative is much longer. Luke begins not just with Gabriel appearing to the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, but he begins by the parents of the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, Gabriel comes in Luke's gospel to Zechariah and Elizabeth, or Zechariah, and that part is, is recorded. And all of this is leading up. It's not about John. It's not about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's all about this baby who will be none other than God incarnate, God in the flesh, come to save us from our sins. So it's all leading up to that. So in Luke's gospel, after the prologue, after the, the introduction of four verses, uh, the angel Gabriel will appear to John's father, Zechariah. Would you stand as I read that passage? I'm in Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. Luke 1, 5. Imagine this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, 
and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. Okay, as we unpack this passage, the first thing about Zechariah and Elizabeth that is emphatic in the passage is what a godly couple they are. In fact, if you would look again at verse 6 in the passage, three times in one sentence, it is emphasized how godly they are. Do you see it there? That they were both righteous before God. Secondly, they were walking blameless, blamelessly. Thirdly, they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So this was one godly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And no doubt, they had learned in their years of serving God with all their hearts, they had learned a truth that some of us still need to know, still need to learn. And this truth is that just because you go all out to walk with Jesus Christ does not mean you get a pass on suffering and troubles. We see that all through the Bible, don't we? Never expect that just because you're going all out for Jesus that you get a, a pass in the suffering and pain of life because you live, I live, in a broken, fallen world and rebellion against God. we got a spiritual enemy, and they've got those problems and challenges all over the world. And besides that, God uses pain and trials so often to, to shape us and to grow our faith. And so, let me remind you, you don't get a pass, and so don't be surprised or wondering, you know, what's going on, Lord? Why are you doing this? This is part of life in a fallen world. God uses them. But we also need to learn what I hope they'd already learned. Never assume that your suffering is due to your own sin. It's due to sin in general in some way or the other, but it's not necessarily due to your own sin. It wasn't with Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, the text emphasizes the opposite. They were so godly, so godly. That wasn't true for Job who suffered, you know, incredibly and the, the, the book begins by saying he's the most godly man in all the earth. It wasn't true for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It wasn't true for Job. And it wasn't true for Jesus, who suffered plenty. Never assume that you suffer because of your sin. Now, sometimes you do. If you get drunk and start driving and you hit somebody, yeah, you're going to suffer because of your sin. So sometimes it is, but you will know it. It's not going to be a secret or a mystery. Suffering is part of life in a fallen, broken world. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are suffering because they had no child. I, I know that so many of you here in this room have experienced that pain firsthand. For months, some for years, some perhaps for longer. Now, that is painful, I, I understand, especially for the woman, but for both, woman and man. But in ancient Israel, that pain was compounded by a social stigma that went with infertility. Because in ancient Israel, 
if a couple did not have a child, it, was, it meant they were a failure and they were embarrassed about it. Moreover, there was financial hardship because uh, most, fa most families in an agricultural society depended upon children to help do the work as they grew up. And without a social security system, at the end of life, they depended on the children to take care of their parents. So you've got the pain of infertility compounded by social humiliation and financial hardship. So feel with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Moreover, this didn't go on with them for a couple of years, but for 40 to 50 years. The text says they were advanced in years. They were probably in their 60s, which means if they got married in their late teens, which wasn't uncommon, this was going on almost 50 years, at least 40. They had struggled with this. Most likely, they had long since given up any hope of ever having children. Okay, we pick up the narrative in verse 8 when we read that now while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Just a little bit of background, historical background, the priests at the time. There were about 20,000 priests at this time. They were not all in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the country in towns and villages. But all of the priests, twice a year, for a week each, would have duty in Jerusalem at the temple. So this was uh, his division's time. They're all in Jerusalem. Now, there were about 1,000 priests in his division, in each of the divisions. So if there's 1,000 priests in your division, and you're there twice a week for the 30, 40, 50 years that you're serving as a priest, that means you may or may not ever get to go into the holy place to, in the hour of incense, the hour of prayer. You might go your whole lifetime and never get in there, but he's chosen. Now, of course, you see God's sovereign hand working this to have him chosen at this time because God is at work preparing the way for a Messiah. So he's in there. At the hour of prayer. Now, do you see the room that they're in? I mean, it is so holy and sacred. It's got the holy place and then a massive curtain 60 feet high, 6 inches thick, that uh, separates the holy place from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God on earth. I mean, either one of those places, you know, just very imposing and sacred and Zechariah is in there, and all the people are outside praying. We see that in the next verse, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, 9 a.m. in the morning. Some of you have been to the temple grounds in Jerusalem. You can imagine that temple up there and just the grounds packed around there with people praying and calling out to God. And Zechariah alone is in there in the holy place. That's when it happens. He's praying, and all of a sudden, this huge figure is right there. And you can picture him, can't you, slack-jawed with eyes wide? Verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now, we see that all through the Bible. Whenever an angel appears to a human being, invariably the response is that of fear and cowering and maybe hitting the ground. So, 
We banish from our mind any idea of angels being like a Hallmark card as a cute little chubby Cupid-like thing. That's not going to bring terror into anybody. But they were powerful beings, apparently, who were quite imposing. And Zechariah is in there, and that angel is right there. And he speaks to Zechariah. Verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. For your prayer has been heard. Now, he had been praying that prayer for a baby for beginning 50 years ago. Your prayer has been heard. They thought most likely that, that God had forgotten them, that God didn't hear their prayer, that God said no to their prayer. But their prayer had been heard all along the way. In fact, they assumed the answer was no. That wasn't the answer, was it? Wasn't the answer not yet? Zechariah and Elizabeth, not yet. They had no idea what God was doing. But wasn't God at work in an incredible way, in a way beyond anything they could think or imagine? Not just a baby, but a special miracle baby who would prepare the way for the very Son of God himself to come and save the world. I mean, whoa, he will be great. They will rejoice at his birth. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. How God answered their prayer. But they had no idea for 40, 50 years. Church, this morning, you and I, each one of us, we have been praying for something that we have not yet seen, correct? Twelve years I've been praying for two miraculous healings in my family with a child and a grandchild. For 25, maybe 30 years I've been praying for revival in our city, in this area. And you probably have the same experience. You have been praying for years for some things, haven't you? And at times, do we not wonder, does that thought not come to our minds, does Satan not plant a lie in our minds that God doesn't hear us, that God has forgotten us, that those prayers don't go any higher than that ceiling? Look, your prayer has been heard. You cannot pray to the holy, sovereign, prayer-hearing God, and he not hear your prayers. We see that from cover to cover. Your prayer has been heard. Now, did we not sing together before this that, Lord, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Now, is that not true for you, for the prayers that you're praying day in and day out? Did Zechariah and Elizabeth see that John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, would come in their old age? No way. And neither do you see what God is doing in your life. But that's why we live by faith. In heaven, we'll live by sight. 
This is the only microsecond in all of eternity that we, you and I get to live by faith. This is our opportunity that we will trust our God no matter how dark it seems. Your prayer has been heard. Does Jesus tell us in Luke 18, 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Keep on praying. Unless God has clearly shut the door, then keep on praying. Because God is at work. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, as we see. Okay, let's go back to the text. The angel Gabriel, the stunning statements he's making to the slack-jawed Zechariah. 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Still a baby. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, the Lord their God, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah, this baby's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, and Zechariah, the lights just went on. Because the Old Testament ended with a promise, one day I will send a prophet in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And then there were 400 years of silence, and now the silence is broken. God has crashed through. Your, your baby boy is going to be that great prophet to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's just, you know, trying to take this in. I mean, he's going to be great. Many are going to rejoice at his birth. Now, you would think Zechariah, you know, had no idea what, how God had answered his prayer. And, and now here's this angel telling him that. But, but his response to it is a little bit surprising to me. Because his response is, Unless I see a sign, I'm not believing it. Um, show me. Show me. And um, that's verse 18. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, I understand. I think we ought to be a little bit gentle on him. I mean, that's a big deal. That's still, but, I mean, if you've got the angel Gabriel standing right before you, I mean, that might give you a clue that something's going on. And, and I'm very intrigued by Gabriel's response to him in verse 19, and the angel answered, answered him, I am Gabriel. It's like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And then verse 20, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I mean, what a challenge. And a reminder again that we see all through the Bible. There's something about the heart of God that whenever he tells us something, he loves it when we believe him and trust him. And it's not just Zechariah and the people in the Bible. It's you and me today. That we would be people who take God at his word and we believe him. And so he had this punishment that uh, he couldn't talk. And so we see in verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this, his delay in the temple. 
But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. You know, Elizabeth doesn't know about this yet. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And isn't that encouraging that even despite Zechariah's unbelief, God still did it anyway. God in his grace, God in his mercy, even despite his unbelief, he still did what he said. Okay, church, that's the passage, this incredible passage preparing us for Christmas. Now, what's this passage about? When we study the Bible, we should always uh, ask ourselves, what's the point of this passage? What's the purpose of this passage? And I would say, we're just, it's all about the baby Jesus coming. He hadn't been in the passage yet, but this whole flow of the narrative is building up to when Jesus is born in Luke 2. And so the whole passage is about this coming baby is so special that it is such a big deal, not only for Mary and Joseph, but even the forerunner, John the Baptist, for his family. We're just going to make a big deal out of this. Be sending angels to announce these incredible things. So it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This, this baby who's coming, be born of a Jewish peasant, a teenage girl. He is none other than the Lord of glory. Come to save us from our sins. Okay, that's the point. That's the point. However, in the midst of this point, we do see another thread running through that that touches our lives very powerfully and very poignantly, and that is a perspective on suffering, pain, and disappointment. Now, that's where you and I live, isn't it, in a fallen, broken world? We've got plenty of suffering, pain, and disappointment. And what does this passage say to us? Several things. But first of all, what is your greatest struggle this morning? I look at some of you, and I know some of you about what you're going through. I don't know all of you, though, but you've got something. Are you in some serious denial? What, what, what's the biggest on your list? Okay, I got one. You got one? Go like this if you do. You got one? Okay, I see that, man. Okay, you got one? Okay, this is what God is saying to you about that one. You've been waiting, praying, seeking God. And maybe at times it seems that God has not heard you. Maybe at times it seems that you've been forgotten by God. Maybe you've so wanted to get married and it's never happened. Maybe you've so wanted a child and it's never happened. Maybe you've got a marriage and you're so lonely you could die. Maybe you've got a child, a, 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 a teenager, an adult child who is on a path of destruction and you're scared to death. Maybe you've lost a loved one this year and your heart has been shattered. Maybe there's a disease for you or a loved one. What's the biggest thing that you've been seeking God and praying about? Well, there are some truths here. First of all, never assume that your suffering is due to sin. Secondly, if you're, if you're surrendered to Christ, living for Him, most likely it is not, and you would know it if so. But usually we do not know why we suffer until we get to heaven. Did Zechariah and Elizabeth have any idea what God was doing? And so, with that problem, that pain, we've got to know by, by faith, by trusting God, that God is at work in the situation. That 
He never stops. He never stops working. That's John 5, 19. My father is always at work. He's working all things together for good. He is at work in that situation that you're dealing with right now. And so you've got to remind yourself, Lord, I'm hurting down here, but I know you're at work. I know you hear me when I pray because you tell me all through the Bible that you do. And so what we need is trust, not understanding about what's going on, what God is doing. We need trust, not understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lay not on your own understanding. I love the story that Mother Teresa interacts with this philosopher sometime back. And, and in fact, if you get my daily devotional, I included it about a week ago. Uh, here's the story. So there was a philosopher, an ethicist by the name of John Cavanaugh at a crossroads of his life. And he decides during this transition period, he's going to fly to Calcutta back when Mother Teresa's alive and spend three months serving at the house of the dying there, seeking God for the next step. And he gets there the first day, and she asks him how, he could, how she could help him. And he asks, uh, what can I pray? He said, will you pray for me? And she asked him, well, what would you like me to pray for? And for thousands of miles, he had come to bring this request to her. Would you pray that I have clarity on my next steps? And she still looks at him and said, nope, I will not pray that. <laughs> well, why not? Well, because clarity... Is the, is the last thing you need that you're holding on to and you need to let go of it. But, and he's taken aback and he says, well, you always seem to have clarity, Mother Teresa. And she laughs and says, I have never had clarity. I have trust, not clarity. And that's what I will pray for you. I will pray for you trust. And that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own clarity or understanding. Church, the life of faith, only opportunity in all of, all of eternity is right now. And, and, and you don't always have understanding and clarity. And that is your opportunity to trust the Lord. That is your opportunity and my opportunity. And let's not get to heaven and find out that we never trusted the Lord. This means waiting. We're waiting right now. Who likes to wait? Waiting reminds us that we are so not in control. Some of us control freaks. So not in control. We don't control anything God does. We don't control anybody, certainly not that teenage adult child. We don't control uh, our own lives. We're not in control of anything. We are helpless and dependent on God. John Ortberg said this way, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. So we not only, we're getting a perspective on that biggest challenge. Not only do we remind ourselves that God is at work, but also that this is the process of him making you grow in your faith and developing you like Jesus. This is the process. So we want to hear everything he's got. Also, we see in this passage that God always hears your prayers, always. It's impossible for God not to hear your prayers. Your prayer has been heard. Furthermore, God may answer your prayer despite your unbelief, like Zechariah. 
furthermore, God can do the impossible. 20 verses later in verse 37, angel Gabriel will tell Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. And so, church, this morning, when you think about that greatest challenge, is it too big for God? Does God not know your pain? Is God not at work? He is. He is. And we can trust him. Please stand with me. Just silently bring that biggest need to God right now and surrender it deeply. Surrender it deeply. Lord, we all bring to you this heartache, this challenge that we're not in control of. And like Zechariah and Elizabeth, Lord, we know that you hear our prayer. Lord, give us trust. When we don't have clarity, when we don't have understanding, Lord, give us trust. Even this morning to know you're at work and you're good and you're God. Bless these, your people, in Christ's name.